Hello and welcome to episode four of my mini plant-based Kickstarter podcast series. In this episode, I'm talking with Dr. Mary Barson. Dr. Barson is a general practitioner with particular interests in nutritional and environmental medicine, lifestyle medicine, and mind-body medicine. She has undertaken additional training in medical hypnotherapy, mental health, stress management, children's health, palliative medicine, as well as lifestyle medicine and nutritional and integrative medicine, including training in injectable nutrients. I don't know many people more qualified to talk about health and lifestyle-related conditions than Dr. Mary Barson. In this discussion, Mary explains in detail the role of insulin in the body, the dangers of excess insulin, and how the dietary and lifestyle choices we make influence insulin. She explains that in this era of lifestyle diseases, such as overweight and obesity, type 2 diabetes, and cardiovascular disease, that it is not, quote-unquote, fat's fault. And she goes into detail about why fats are, in fact, crucial to the diet and our health. We hear from Mary on the key lab tests to review in order to accurately assess your risk for metabolic and cardiovascular disease. I hope you enjoy listening to this discussion with Dr. Mary Barson. Hi, Mary. I am so very excited to have you on the show. I uh, reached out to you or probably about a year ago now because mm. I found you um, on the low-carb Down Under platform and was moving to the surf coast, which is where you practice. And I'm so glad I found you because you are just a wealth of knowledge. I think I was counting um, the level of expertise or the number of courses that you have done or the <laughs> number of letters next to your name and there's like 15 or something there. <laughs> um, but can you introduce yourself a little and maybe talk about some of your background and uh, what's got you to this point? Yeah, thank you, Ellie. It's wonderful to be here. And yeah, it was, was lovely meeting you. I think um, as well as being both um, working in this low carbohydrate um, sort of nutritional area, we both sort of have a lot of um, shared values about real food and about health and wellness generally. So it's yeah. been lovely meeting you. So yeah, my name's Mary Barson. I'm a medical doctor, um, a GP in the Surf Coast region of Victoria. Um, I have got a strong interest in nutrition um, 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 and also a strong interest in healthy lifestyle, helping people achieve healthy lifestyle, the um, nutritional, physiological and medical aspects of that as well as the psychological um, and mind management support. Yeah. So yeah, before I did medicine, I was a biochemist, so I've got quite a big um, interest in science and I really I really like um, looking at um, looking at health and nutrition through that kind of biochemical lens. Oh, God, I have a strong interest in mental health and I'm a medical hypnotherapist um, which also helps with that that's that behavior change the psychology of behavior change which yeah. is a really important aspect of you know, sustainable change. Yeah, absolutely. I I just love all the facets facets to your background. Like I can't wait to refer clients to you when they come to me on the surf coast uh, just because I think, you know, so much of what people are experiencing these days in terms of, you know, what are the biggest, let's say killers, but just the biggest contributors to, mm. you know, um, morbidity you know, it's cardiovascular disease, it's um, neurodegenerative diseases, uh, and a lot of that's associated with inflammation, the diet, the way we live, the way we think and feel. And so I love that you've got all of those strings to your bow to help you bring that to your practice. Um, yeah. So it's not necessarily that it's not necessarily that you don't go down the conventional approach and look at pharmaceuticals, but there's so many strings mm. to your bow in terms of what you can offer your patients when, you know, looking at those the, those big causes of mod morbidity in the West. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, you, you're right. So much of, of the modern problems that people have these days, you know, physical health as well as mental health issues, so much of it is due to many of the the toxins in our modern environment, be it mm. food, lack of sleep or poor quality sleep, stress, uh, all of these, these fundamental lifestyle factors really, really, really influence our health on a very, very real, very, very real biochemical level and um, helping people um, just like break free, I guess, of chronic disease by making 
behavior changes is the funnest thing that I do. So like as a doctor, I actually think the funnest thing that I could do is to help people get off medications. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> yeah. And people want that as well. They want that freedom of knowing that, okay, I can go into my old age or mm. later, you know, I can go into my later years of life and not be on medication. Mm. Some yeah. people, that's the goal they're working towards. Definitely, definitely. And we do that a lot. I, I run online programs with them. Um, real life medicine with a colleague of mine Dr Lucy Burns mm. and we we do manage to get quite a few of our patients to at least reduce their medications which is lovely I love yeah. it yeah you're not always going to be able to do it but certainly mm. in, a, in a lot of instances um one of the reasons I wanted to talk with you specifically around well not necessarily specifically plant-based nutrition but can mm. have a conversation around you know cardiovascular disease, metabolic disease, inflammation is because plant-based diets, either entirely plant-based or largely plant-based, you know, do have a huge capacity to help to alleviate risk factors for those conditions in terms of waist circumference, body mass index, um, and like nutritional quality. But I, I tend to think that perhaps the reasons why plant-based diets are able to do that is not necessarily because of the conventional thoughts around them being low fat, um, low in oils. Mm. And that goes against convention, both in the plant-based space and in the, I guess, the traditional medicine space as well. And it's starting to become mm. a lot more mainstream, you know, this idea of fats and oils potentially being protective when it comes mm. to mm. cardiovascular disease, metabolic disease. But maybe before we get there, um, can you talk on, you know, what would be your description of cardiovascular disease, metabolic disease? How do you classify it? What's the mm. cluster? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, it's a good question, but it's, first of all, it's unbelievably common, um, you know, in, in America, like one in three, one in two um, adults have got metabolic disease. It's about the same in Australia, about 40% of Australian adults have got some kind of metabolic disease. So it's horribly common. And what metabolic disease is, disorder of the metabolism, it actually, it all really comes down to... In, in many ways, the way I view it anyway, is it comes down to insulin and our carbohydrate metabolism. Mm. So, yes, yeah, it's all about the insulin. And mm. I had this little aha moment, uh, you know, several years ago when I just realised it's the insulin, stupid. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> I can't believe yourself like that. <laughs> no, yeah, well, I did it that time. It's just like it is so obvious when you think about it. So, metabolic syndrome is in is a cluster of of illnesses um, that includes things like high blood pressure or hypertension, includes non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, um, includes um, things like. Um, disorders within the uh, having a cholesterol or lipid profile that's more associated with um, with cardiovascular disease. So that includes having a low HDL or the low high density lipoprotein, considered the good cholesterol. The good, yes, yeah, which, that's right. Which is totally <laughs> we can come back around to that. Yeah, we will yeah. come back. So I'm happy to that one. Having a high LDL, traditionally called the bad cholesterol. Again, yeah. not quite not quite accurate and having high triglycerides having high blood sugar and having high um high levels of the hormone insulin and when you put all these things together it causes sort of this syndrome this sort of cluster of pre, pre pre-diabetes um fatty liver disease metabolic disease syndrome x it has all these different names but essentially what it is it's 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 really not good for you. It mm. is a condition where the body is really no longer coping, coping with the sugars and starches in the diet, and it and you know the body is trying to compensate. The body is trying to cope with the sugars and starches in the diet, mm. but it isn't, and it's starting to overflow and cause these problems. And it it really 
it really does all come down to the sugar and starches and yeah. not the poor old fats. Yeah, yeah. Poor old fats have been much maligned in recent decades and it really, it's not their fault. Yeah. So because, and that's because insulin is released in response to elevating blood glucose levels, right? So it's that physiological response to normalizing blood glucose. Totally, totally. So So how, yeah. And it's, you get metabolic disease when you've got two things. You're sort of developing insulin resistance and a diet that's pretty high in sugars and starches. That is the standard Australian diet or even the low-fat, high-carb diet, which is promoted. So what, what's happening for, for, you know, more than half of Australian adults here is that over time our bodies are getting overwhelmed by the sugars and starches in our, that we eat in our diet. So, yeah. What is insulin? Let's let's talk about it. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to talk about let, what uh, is insulin. Uh, uh, all right, all right. So, because a lot of people would be thinking, a lot of people would be thinking, oh, diabetes, yes. you know, injectable. That's what insulin is, because that's what we hear. That's what we hear about insulin. Yeah. So, you know, people would be. I guess it'd be nice for people to know that is actually produced by the body. We do make mm. it. We should make mm. it. And yes, we yeah. die without it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it is. So it's, it's a hormone that is made by our pancreas in tiny amounts usually, and it's essential to life. If we didn't have any insulin, we, we would be very sick. No insulin is type 1 diabetes, which is an entirely different disease process yeah. that I probably won't go into today. But we can over time get too much of it, and this is what happens. So... Insulin's job is to take the sugar from our bloodstream after we eat sugar or we eat a starchy meal or the starches in our meal get converted into sugar and then insulin gets released and its job is to take the sugar from our blood um, that we get after eating it, eating sugar and starches, and then to take the sugar from our blood and convert it into fat and store it in our fat cells. That's its main job. Its job is to make sure that sugar doesn't get too high and to take the blood sugar, the excess blood sugar, and convert it as fat. It is a fat-storing hormone. Mm. And, you know, that's a completely essential part of our physiology. We need that to happen. But what can happen is if over time, uh, if we eat more sugar and starches than our bodies can really cope with, then our our bodies start to become insulin resistant. And what that means is like, the body's just not coping. So the fat cells start to hide their insulin receptors. They're just like, I can't take any more sugar. I can't do this mm-hmm. anymore. And so they start to hide their receptors. But the body still needs to get the sugar out of the bloodstream. It still needs to convert it as fat. And so it needs to make more insulin. It kind of needs to start sort of yelling at the cells, if you like. It has to yell yeah. at the cells to take the sugar. So it yeah. makes more insulin. And then then the, 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 the fat cells and to a lesser extent the muscle cells Um, They start to hide their receptors even more and the body has to make even more insulin and you get into this situation of increasing insulin over time. And this is bad for quite a few reasons. I've mentioned before that insulin is the fat-storing hormone. Yeah. Physiologically, when our bodies are burning fat... Uh, sorry, physiologically, when our bodies are storing fat, when insulin is elevated and we're storing fat... We can't burn fat. Mm. High insulin actually inhibits um, the cellular processes to burn fat. Your body won't let you store fat and burn fat at the same time. It's like it's like a redundant process. It just mm. won't let you do it. Yeah. And so, yeah, so if insulin is high, you can't burn fat. My colleague Lucy has this wonderful analogy, which I'll share. I love it. It's, mm. it's called the woodshed analogy. Mm. Yes, this is at the heart of of weight gain, of pre-diabetes, of metabolic disease, is the woodshed. Okay, so this is the woodshed. We, our metabolisms, our bodies, we need fuel. We need fuel to be able to, you know, grow hair, swallow, breathe, beat our hearts, move, be alive. And our cells have got two kind of fuels that they can use. They can use sugar, which we get from other sugars and starches, or they can use fat. They're the two fuels that we've got. And if you can imagine if your body is like a fireplace, your metabolism is a fireplace, the two fuel sources, you've got your carbs, your sugar, that's like kindling. Mm -hmm. It burns hot and fast. 
And then you've got the fat. It's like the big redwood logs, you know. You put them on, they burn long and slow. You get, you get a lot of long energy from the fat if your body is able to burn fat. Well, if somebody who is metabolically healthy doesn't have metabolic disease, then they can switch from using kindling to logs fine. They can get the fire burning with a bit of carbs and then they can throw on some of their fat logs and they're okay. Mm. But somebody, as I mentioned, insulin is the fat storing hormone, doesn't let you burn fat. If you've got high insulin, then you don't have any logs next to your fire. Your logs are out in the woodshed and insulin has padlocked the woodshed. So your fat is inaccessible to your metabolism when you've got high circulating insulin. So you can burn carbs, but you can't burn your fat while your insulin is high. So Mm. people... You know, if people have got insulin, high insulin, and they go on a low-carb diet, you know, sorry, they go on a, on a low-calorie diet, high insulin, they're going to feel really hungry, they're going to be starving, and they're going to have lots of no energy because they can't get to the, their fat. Yeah, the fat storage. I mm. love that analogy because people suddenly will now have this aha moment, or I'm imagining a lot of people will have this aha moment of like, oh, I think I'm burning the kindling. And Mm -hmm. if you don't know if that's you, then just think about what kindling is like. Like you put it on the fire and it's gone in 10 seconds, 10 seconds, but it's gone quickly. You need to put more kindling on. And in the real life, that's somebody who eats breakfast and two hours later, they need some more breakfast to bring them back up again. And then two hours later, they need to have lunch and so on and so forth and the cycle continues over the course of the day and then people think like oh well I'm hungry so I better reduce the calories because I'm eating too much over the course of the day and it's this this vicious cycle Mm. and so I guess that's some of the signs of the lack of I would call it metabolic flexibility so lack of that ability to to switch between the the carbohydrates and the fats so the like the the real life signs are the poor appetite control and the the ups and downs in energy levels and possibly even the ups and downs in moods that correlate with Mm. those ups and downs in blood sugars what sorts of things are you looking for um from a from a from a medical perspective, like if you're doing testing on a patient, mm. what are some of the signs that you're looking for for, let's say, insulin resistance as, as you know, that, that starter into metabolic disease or that yeah. indicator of metabolic disease? Yeah, absolutely. So, well, first of all, the things that you've just talked about, like the history of that, yeah, needing to eat all the time, getting hungry, you know, that's that's definitely a sign. Mm. Um, looking at um, people's um, their waist circumference yeah. is that can be like if have they got um, sort of some increased adiposity or sort of yeah. um, uh, weight around the middle. Yep. Yep. Blood blood pressure. So high circulating insulin does quite a few things. It doesn't just um, lock away your fat stores and make it hard to lose weight. It's it hideous, also isn't it? It is, it's yeah. Hideous, hideous hormone in large amounts. It is in a hideous hormone. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's essential for life. But yeah, in, in large amounts it, it's 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 pro-inflammatory, yeah. which we can get into later. Inflammation is a, a really significant risk factor for all kinds of chronic diseases. It mm. elevates blood pressure and also exerts these effects on our cholesterol profile, making it more unhealthy. So, yeah, I'll definitely, I'd look at blood pressure, look at what people eat. I will look at, um, at, at their central adiposity. And then I would do blood tests. And mm. I do pretty simple blood tests, usually in the first instance, ones that are usually covered by Medicare for yeah. our Australian listeners. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so I would do, um, often I would do a fasting insulin Yes, fasting insulin, that isn't Mm. tested enough just by the Mm. way. Um, Mm. So that is Mm. covered by Medicare. To clarify Mm. that to Mm. listeners, that fasting insulin is covered by Medicare. Okay. Yeah, it is, absolutely. Um, And I would do a fasting lipid profile, so fasting cholesterol, HDL, LDL, triglyceride breakdown, and I would do a liver function test because one thing that high circulating insulin does is it can precipitate fatty liver disease. Mm. I mentioned before about how the fat cells in, in insulin resistance are hiding their receptors. It's like, I can't take this anymore. I can't take any more sugar. Please don't make me. Mm. Well, then like that high sugar has to go somewhere. And so the, the 
the high circulating insulin or the body will just start jamming jamming the sugar anywhere it can and it will jam it um, in the liver. It will store off fat uh, to, to convert the sugar and, and store it as fat in the liver and the pancreas and other organs as well. Mm. And fatty liver disease is, is a significant marker of metabolic disease, incredibly common. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And are you looking at ALT and AST in that case or any other markers? Yeah, I look at ALT, AST and GGT. Okay. Yeah, um, ALT actually is probably the most sensitive one and can often be overlooked um, when you just ALT just starts to creep up. That's one mm. of so we're talking about these liver enzyme yeah. markers that that when the liver gets inflamed, it can leak these these enzymes into the blood and we can detect them in blood tests. And so it's quite a sensitive way to, to see if the liver is annoyed. The liver does not want to be a fat storage organ. It's not designed for that. Mm -hmm. And it's very unhappy when it's forced to do it. Um, yeah. <laughs> and this is uh, like you're just reminding me of like the number, not the number, but one of my first let's call it metabolic disease cases. She came to me, mm. she was on statin medication, um, she was on high, she was on blood pressure medication and she also started um, uh, liver support over the course of mm. us working together. And at, at no point, or not at no point, but it took years and years and years of that combination of medication for her doctor to eventually suggest I think you should go and speak to a nutritionist. Mm, mm. <laughs> and that just upsets me because mm. she was she was on the, the blood pressure medication because of her diet. And then she was on the statin medication because her diet wasn't being improved. Like the blood pressure wasn't enough of a warning signal to start taking care of the diet. And then she had to start the liver medication mm. probably because of her diet, but also because of the other medications she was on. And so um, then it just meant that there was so much unraveling to do after years and years of not changing the diet, but just layering medication yeah. on medication on medication. That's right. We've got no medication to fix metabolic disease. You look, and, and that picture that you've just described is incredibly common. Mm. And um, I think there's, there's a few reasons for that. One is that doctors aren't given very good nutritional training. And well, I heard one doctor say that he gets. Yeah. I heard one doctor say one day of nutritional training at medical school. Say that again. Sorry. I oh, sorry. I think my internet just cut out. I heard um, a yeah. doctor. Um, oh, I'm going to forget his name, um, but I think he said one day of nutrition at medical school when he was studying, which probably yeah. would have been like the 70s or the 80s, but. I don't know how much it's changed since then. Yeah, that's quite possibly true. I think maybe a little bit more. And it, it wasn't many, many lectures on nutritional training. And it was all 1970s USDA dietary guidelines based mm. nonsense. Yeah. So low fat. And <laughs> low fat. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It, that, 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 that the message was that it's the dietary fats and it's the dietary cholesterol that is at the cause of all of this. And so if you lower that, no matter what, you'll be fine. I'm, I'm a GP and so I did GP training as well to specialise, become a specialist GP. I did my exams, I think, in 2016. Okay. And I remember... Even in 2016, in order to pass my examinations, I needed to be able to, I had to absolutely memorise the dietary guidelines. I had to know them with a fine tooth comb mm. because that was what was, that's what I was being examined on. So it's the, 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 the problems run quite deep. Mm. In, yeah, in the medical establishment, um, but, you know, well, just in the whole mainstream health establishment yeah. um, more widely. I am very, so, you know, the problem is that our dietary guidelines, they are improving and they're most, they're most recent. The healthy plate guidelines are better than yeah. the ones before, but they aren't, they do not reflect the best current science that we have and they really do let Australians down. And not all doctors have as strong an interest in nutrition as me, so they will just sort of remember what they were taught in medical school or remember what they had to learn through their examinations and just tell that to their patients, even though they care deeply, deeply. about mm. their patients, yeah. they believe that that's the right advice. And when it doesn't work, 
because it doesn't work because you 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 can't fix metabolic disease unless you get down to the cause of it which is the insulin resistance it's the insulin resistance and telling people to go on a on a low low fat diet isn't going to fix that well, because then what happens is on the low-fat diet, the individual will either increase the amount of sugar and starch that they're consuming because the, the energy, the bulk, the, the, the satisfaction, that feeling of satisfaction needs to come from somewhere else or they'll start to increase the protein in the diet as well. And usually it's like a combination of the two that mm-hmm. will start to go up. Um, when somebody's told to consume a low-fat diet or they start to cut the calories entirely and then there's not enough nutrients coming in at all to support all of the other bodily functions that, guess what, we need nutrients for. We do, Um, we do. And so recommendation is low-fat, but we know that it's not fat that triggers insulin, it's starch. And let's clarify that like you've said sugar a lot, it's sugar, it's starch. So it's our refined yeah. carbohydrates. So it's the, the breakfast cereals, the muesli bars, the confectionery, but also our less refined whole food carbohydrates, if consumed in too high amounts, mm. can start to influence um, insulin levels as well. So yes. sweet potato, rice, pasta, pasta's price pastas processed but I'll still put it in that semi-whole category um quinoa things like that and so Mm. they're all things that somebody with good intentions who's transitioning to a plant-based diet actually might start eating a lot of Mm. you know put a lot of sweet potato on the plate put a lot of rice on the plate because that's the bulk that replaces the protein but you know, from what you're saying is that that still doesn't alleviate the risk of metabolic disease because it could still drive the insulin and, and still drive that, that like underlying factor for inflammation, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, my, my food philosophy, I think it's very similar to yours, is that the first, the most important thing people can do is eat real food, you know, food that is as close as possible to its natural form uh, yeah. because then you're eliminating a lot of toxins that exist in, in processed foods, a whole lot of, you know, emulsifiers, artificial sweeteners, all kinds of, you know, fairly toxic things. Yeah. So that's good. Real food is good. But, yes, if you are someone who has got a metabolic disease, weight gain, a weight loss goal, fatty liver disease, high blood pressure, you know, any of these metabolic Poor issues. Poor appetite control being one of the early totally. signs. <laughs> Poor appetite control, then, yes, yeah. then, then real food, although an excellent start is not generally enough to really get well, you then need to have that, the, the lower carbohydrate versions of real food because, haven't really mentioned this, the, the way to treat metabolic disease is to get the root cause is to get the insulin down and the the best way to get your insulin down there's only really two ways and they work best if you do them together one is a low carbohydrate diet and the other is intermittent fasting intermittent fasting is much easier if you're on a low carbohydrate diet absolutely and for people listening i don't often recommend recommend diving into intermittent Mm. fasting unless you're on the lower carbohydrate diet first and you've started to realize some of the initial benefits of lower carbohydrate like some improved appetite control and then you start the intermittent fasting because otherwise it's just um, I'm rebound very, it, it, very it, it sensible rebound for people it, mm. totally I would say minimum six weeks at least to yeah. really really um before you would consider adding an intermittent fasting but low carb that's the only way to lower your insulin and to unlock that woodshed and to be able to start burning your stored fat is a lower a healthy, real food, lower carbohydrate diet. Yeah, and and so if it's a lower carbohydrate diet, then am I right in thinking this is a bit of a sort of open, no, no, not right. open, but leading, yeah. leading question that then there's room on the plates for quality fats to be there. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there it is, and you need them. Like, it's not fat's fault. It never was fat's fault. I love it's, that saying. Yeah. It's not fat's fault. <laughs> no, no. Tim Tim Noakes is this wonderful scientist in South Africa who has done lots and lots of research on on. He calls it low carb, high fat diets. That's yeah. what he calls it. 
And he says that we've all become lipophobes, like, you know, we've got a fear of fat. And he says that lipophobia is, uh, has made us all sick and unwell. So that. don't be a lipophobe. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes. So, yeah, eat your healthy whole fats. We need them for a lot of reasons. Um, first of all, they, they fill us up and they're very satiating and they do not simulate insulin. So that's one mm. good reason. We need them because they, um, that's the only way that we can get access to fat-soluble vitamins, A, D, E and K, and without those we would most certainly be unwell and mm. in severe cases would die. Yeah. And they, they, we need them to be able to absorb a lot of nutrients. Yeah. yeah and lots of other reasons as well yeah, yeah yeah absolutely I mean I love the term fat phobic I tend to say that we've forgotten that there's a physiological role for fats in the diet mm. and somehow over the course of the 80s 90s and even into today today we just think that there is this demon on the plate mm. they don't mm. exist for a reason but I can't tell you the number of women that I see on a low fat diet you know young women and we're sort of moving away from metabolic disease here, but young mm. women on a low-fat diet, especially young women on a low-fat plant-based diet whose menstrual cycle has gone missing mm. or their energy levels are really low or they're starting to get acne breakouts or their mood's really low or it's a combination of all of those things. And that's because we need those fat-soluble vitamins to support mood. We need the fat and the essential fatty acids to support hormone production. We even need cholesterol to support hormone mm. production. And cholesterol's not really even a word that we've landed on yet in this conversation. Yes. You know, um, cholesterol is absolutely essential to life. Yeah. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And um, a, a low-fat diet is um, you're at risk of, of lots of things, not just, um, you know, increasing your insulin because of increased carbohydrate intake, but, but truly of actual nutritional deficiencies. It, it really can be quite bad for your health. Mm. And we, we need fat. And especially if, and, and fat, fat is good for you, good, healthy, natural fats are good for you, especially when you're eating a low-carbohydrate diet. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, because you need the energy as well, don't you, from somewhere. You can't go low-carb and low-calorie and expect to thrive no. um, in that case. Low-calorie low diets are bad. Mm. And, um, you know, conventional thought would have us think that a diet with fats in there and a diet with saturated fats in there might start to impact our markers of risk for cardiovascular disease and some of those you mentioned before. So mm. um, HDL, LDL, you said triglycerides. Mm. I think there is still there there is still that thought around total cholesterol as also being a marker of disease risk and and that mm. uh, being something that can be impacted by the intake of fat and particularly particularly saturated fat. Uh, how much attention do you pay to total cholesterol when looking at that fasting lipid profile? And what would you, yeah, yeah, the total yeah. cholesterol. And what would you consider to be an acceptable, uh, an acceptable range there for total cholesterol? I pay almost no attention to it at all. To be honest, um, it, it, in itself, it's not a very helpful marker. So, and and that's what the science says. I think indeed. Um, Ken Sakaris yeah. is the head of Melbourne Pathology. Um, he's a very, very smart man who's done a lot of YouTube videos. If you, you really want to do a deep dive into yeah. cholesterol, look up Ken Sakaris. And anyway, under his guidance for a very short period of time, based on the science, because total cholesterol is kind of a useless marker, Melbourne Pathology stopped reporting it. Did they? Was, yeah. Did they <laughs> there wow. was an absolute furor of doctors saying, where's my total cholesterol? And they quickly started reporting it on it again. Wow. But yeah. It's not all that helpful in and of itself. You really need to take it back, take a step back and look at the whole picture. And this, we are also, you know, everybody is a product of their environment and their training. And um, certainly I remember back in all the, all way back in 2016 when I was doing my GP exams that there was an awful lot of emphasis placed on um, the, what we call the Framingham Risk Calculator where it's sort of an old-fashioned, uh, well, old-fashioned, it's what we use currently at the moment, but the, the, the science and the data is a little bit older where we use um, people's total cholesterol and HDL cholesterol as a risk of, as a way to assess their cardiovascular risk. 
And I think that that in itself is quite telling, that even these, these slightly more outdated tools still take into account total cholesterol with HDL. Mm. So I, I will obviously I will read the total cholesterol and people always want to know what that number is, but it's, it's far more important to take a step back and look at everything else that is going on. So, I mean, when people's total cholesterol is, you know, more than seven, I, I might, you know, it might cause me to do a bit of a double take and to try and think about why. It's causing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but there isn't any particular number that 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 makes me panic or think okay. that it's true that, that it's wrong if that makes yeah. sense yeah yeah um it's similar to the approach that I would take you know I'd look at that total cholesterol because usually the individual sitting in front of you wants wants a comment on it for, for, they do. in yeah. my case it's because they've come from their doctor and their yes. doctor said look at that tc go and speak yeah. to someone and get it sorted yeah, yeah, yeah. um so I you know I'll reference it but then it's straight straight in for the triglycerides and the total cholesterol to HDL ratio and yep. the HDL as well Yes, um, to see if that's at least above the one. Yeah. But, um, you know, those triglycerides, they're not, they're not usually the thing that the, my clients are being told about in yes. conversations with their, um, their general practitioners, but that's often something that starts to change early in the piece. Mm, that yes, elevating triglycerides. I know, which is so wonderful because, in actual fact, the elevated triglycerides, those fats in the blood, are probably the most important marker for cardiovascular disease. Um, and that's where I zero into straight away. Basically, mm. I get I get a lipid profile and I I look to see the triglycerides. When the triglycerides are less than one. I instantly relax yeah. and then I'll look at everything else and if the yeah. triglycerides are high, then I'm basically calling the patient, you know, to book an appointment to discuss their um, discuss their results before I've even looked at whatever everything else is because yeah. the triglycerides are key. Yeah. And the triglycerides are elevated, not their fats in the blood, that's what they are, but they, they are not elevated because of the fat that we eat. They're elevated because of the sugars and starches that we eat and when our body is overwhelmed by the sugars and yeah. starches. Well, they're elevated when we're not using the fats in the blood. That too, right? yes. Yep, yep. To some degree, yeah. And they, yeah, that's true. And they can also be elevated when um, we're, 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 if people are mobilising a lot of fat, if they're actively burning lots of fat, they can be elevated then too. Um, but, you know, only, only mildly. If, yeah. 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 Okay. So for some of, like, some of what you've just said, for people that will be mind-blowing like okay so I don't have to look at my total cholesterol which means some of the evidence that I've looked at around specifically a plant-based diet on and its impacts on reducing total cholesterol well maybe that's maybe that's information that I need to go back and reassess and look at what are the impacts of a plant-based diet on triglyceride levels and what Mm. are the impacts of a plant-based diet on um on fasting insulin levels, going back to the earlier part of the mm. conversation, and they're they're, num- they're markers that you've got to dig pretty deeply to find. But certainly, a traditional high carbohydrate plant based diet, especially if it's a lot of processed carbohydrates, will still expose risk to those high yeah. numbers, those high triglycerides. Yes, it's not getting down to the root cause. So mm. the root cause of metabolic disease of high circulating triglycerides is the high insulin. Yeah. It all comes back to the insulin. Mm. Okay, so moderating that insulin, open up that fat burning capacity, get mm. the get the big logs on the fire. Mm. Um, and because of the insulin in the system and the increased inflammation, it's also looking at the quality of the diet, right, to help mm. overcome inflammation. So not just so important carbs, but then the quality of the diet. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. How do you usually describe inflammation? Like, what's your What's your um, elevator pitch on uh, yeah. inflammation? <laughs> yeah, so, well, it's a natural and normal process, again, that has an important role. But in modern society, it's um, it's sort of modern chronic diseases, it's, it's gone awry. So inflammation is a whole cascade of things that our body does 
normally to cope, to cope with some sort of stress. And there's acute inflammation, and that's medical. Acute is medical jargon for short-lived. Yep. Acute inflammation is the normal and natural part of life. Indeed, it's life-saving. We need it. Yep. And then there's chronic inflammation, chronic being medical jargon for long-term. And chronic inflammation is very, 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 very bad. So like a cute inflammation example would be um, I get bitten by a cat. Um, I like cats, but this actually, this is just a real example that happened the other day. It usually Um, is. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, Yeah, so, um, yeah, I got bitten by my sister's cat, poor little love. It was injured. And um, so it punctured my skin. I got a whole lot of cat saliva inside the wound, obviously very germy. And so immediately what happened is that the, the damaged cells around the bite marks in my hand triggered inflammation. My immune system rushed in. It made my blood nice and clotty so that the wound stopped bleeding quickly. Lots and lots of white blood cells, the immune system um, started to, to proliferate, to uh, start to kill off the bacteria that were there. My whole hand got really red, hot and swollen. And I was fine. I didn't, it just got better on its own. I gave it a good clean and I put a dressing on it, but my body did the rest thanks Mm. to inflammation. So that's acute inflammation. That's really, really good. But then there are, it's not always, you know, you know, rose thorns and and cat bites that causes inflammation. It, we can get a a situation where chronic inflammation is set up. (laughs) where the body is sort of dealing with various types of stressors and then it becomes chronically inflamed and things like high insulin can do that inflammatory diets can do that and by inflammatory diets i really am talking about processed foods Mm, foods with lots of sort of chemical additives that are made in factories and not made by nature there's really our pro inflammatory having your um too much omega-6s in your diet, which we may or may not want to talk about later. Um, that could be quite pro-inflammatory. Having um, gut problems and uh, disrupted gut microbiome, being stressed. Stress. Mm, yep, 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 cortisol, absolutely being sleep-deprived. All of these things can affect our inflammatory milieu within our body in various ways and set us up for chronic inflammation. And chronic inflammation really is at the heart of so many chronic diseases, including heart disease, including mental illness. Yeah, true, true. Um, I remember I was doing a seminar and somebody asked a question right at the end of it. Like, so um, obviously selective hearing throughout the course of the seminar and at the end of it said, but um, won't eating the fat cause heart disease? And Mm. I said, no, no, that I didn't say it like that. I, I explained <laughs> that it's the underlying inflammation caused by your 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 diet of processed foods, high sugar fruit foods, trans fatty acids, excess omega six fatty acids, the stress. It's that that that's causing the inflammation, which will cause which will impact cardiovascular disease, mm, mm. and it was. It's hard for this person to sort of adjust to this concept that it was inflammation that was there causing things like atherosclerosis. I can never say that word well, um, and not just not just lots of fat accumulating in the arteries. Yeah, yeah, and and he's not alone. <laughs> I reckon um, saturated fats and cholesterol must be. I think still probably the most one of the most controversial topics in medicine right now. And it's controversial, I think, for a good reason because the dominant paradigm is starting to be questioned as as we learn more and more and more in in the science. But I can remember, you know, in medical school or or even on the ads, you'd see pictures of of people people who had died and um, having a look inside the blood vessels in their body and they'd be, you know, sliced open and have a look and you'd see the atherosclerosis, which is the plaque that plugs the artery that is at the heart of strokes and heart disease and peripheral vascular disease. And you have a look, and when you look at it, it is full of fat and cholesterol. And so it it just seems logical that if there is fat in atherosclerosis in the plaques, therefore the fat that we eat causes it. Mm. But it's, it's so simplistic that it is in fact wrong yeah there's a whole lot of processes that cause that that plaque to form that atherosclerosis to form 
and inflammation and high circulating insulin um, are at the heart of it. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of like looking at the simplistic view of fat gain. Um, yes. or fat loss so calories yes. in versus calories out and and both you and I would talk to individuals about not calories in versus calories out but rather the hormonal theory of fat loss or fat gain it's the exact same when it comes to blood sugar levels the hormonal implications of what we eat and and how we live and when you start involving hormones as opposed to just like equations uh, well then you realize that it's a lot more complex and there's a lot more going on under the surface. And actually it's also really empowering because we have a lot more that we can do to support our health, right? As opposed to just cutting 200 calories a day. Well, oh, okay. Well, what if we got 200 calories from somewhere else and how would that change the hormonal response to what we eat? Absolutely. We are incredibly complex little biochemical organisms. And I'd like to say that, that fat loss is chemistry. It's not maths. You know, it's, it is not a case of energy in, energy out. It's a case of I eat some food and this food affects me physiologically in millions of different ways. And the food that I eat is either going to result in healthy outcomes or unhealthy outcomes, basically depending on the choices that I make. It's much more of a mouthful, but it is much more accurate. It is the, yes, it really is. You want to nurture your hormones back to health with a healthy lifestyle and that will allow you to lose fat naturally to open your woodshed to get where you want to go as well as reduce your insulin, which will reduce inflammation and reduce blood pressure, which will improve, reduce triglycerides, improve your cholesterol profile, reduce your risk of heart disease, do all of these things. And it is done. This is the magical thing. It's <laughs> done. Like I don't, I, no one pays me anything for this because I am touting real food, sleep, yeah. stress management. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I love it. I'm, I'm going to quote that, nurture your hormones back to health. Yeah. <laughs> you can make a T-shirt with that. Totally. <laughs> um, but we get, so obviously like lower carbohydrate is one overarching principle for the dietary choices to support there. But mm. we can fit, we, and we can fit um, a predominantly plant-based or purely plant-based diet into that lower carbohydrate you know banner can't we yeah absolutely i'm i'm really supportive of plant-based diets i'm i'm quite moderate in my views i think the most important thing from my standpoint is that people are eating real foods real natural foods and i think that a that a plant-based real natural food a real natural like real food diet is it can be absolutely wonderful healthy and life-changing and if people want to do that, I, I, I was mentioning before, though, to you that I think that it is important when you're going, doing a plant-based diet to be mindful that you're getting all the nutrition you need mm. and making sure that you're getting the essential fatty acids. That's one thing. And in the right ratios. Yeah. So, and, and also to make sure that you're getting enough iron and B vitamins. And, and often um, I would refer to someone like you who's really skilled in plant-based nutrition to get people on the right track to make sure that they're, they're doing it right. Yeah, yeah. Because I think what can happen with nutrition is that we we like to, again, simplify things and we like mm. to put things in little boxes and categories and either assume that's a good category or a bad category. So just like some people will go all the way with a keto diet and just hear that oh, less than 20 grams of fat per day, keto, that's keto. Mm. I can have the fat from anywhere that I want, but like less than 20 grams of carbohydrates per day. And it's the same with a plant-based diet. So plant-based, mm. okay, no animal, no animal foods. Great. I can eat whatever else I want, uh, but it will be a plant-based diet. And there's a lot of healthy plant-based people. So that must make me healthy. And I've literally had people walk like that into the clinic as yes. well. Yes. <laughs> it's know, that simplistic thinking again. It's that simplistic right. thinking. And it's not right. that simple. So you've got Goodness this one... No this one label of plant-based, but you've got all of these different ways that you can go with plant-based. And Absolutely. <laughs> I've, I've had people come in on, on a plant-based diet and, and assuming that they had some kind of health halo about this, but, I mean, they were eating corn chips and Oreos and not much else, Yeah, you know, yeah, and they or, are, yeah. Yeah, or the vegan Domino's pizza. 
Yes, I mean, it's not that particularly healthy. And again, you know, you mentioned keto, so I use low-carbohydrate diets all the time and have people who are eating, you know, almost nothing but chocolate, processed chocolate Atkins bars and, you know, and homemade chocolate lava cake filled with natural sweeteners. That's all they're eating and they don't feel very well. Yeah, and they wonder why the diet isn't working. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Why that feel good, yeah. So Uh, real food. Real food first is, I feel very strongly about that. Absolutely. And so do I. And, uh, you know, that's why I created the plant-based Kickstarter because I want people to have real direction on how to eat real food under the the constructs of a plant-based diet, but also Mm. not to lean on only carbohydrate containing foods or starches and sugars to to support their their plate and their intake um, because, my experience in plant-based really changed when I started to look for the quality fats in my diet. That's just my personal experience. And, and obviously you go and you look at the research and you, you see that, oh, okay, there's, there's a lot of that to back up. Also other people, including fats in their diet. Mm. Um, so I'm really excited that, you know, with you, we can start to chat with people like you, we can start to change people's perceptions of what makes food good for us and what makes plant-based plant-based food good for us as well Uh, Mm. and then I guess a whole other conversation is around measuring what's good for us you know we just started to have a little conversation today about (laughs) total cholesterol or triglycerides and I think that's also something that's got to shift in the health and well-being space which is measuring how we know what's good for us yeah, I, I think things are improving um, over time. Certainly Australian of the Year, John Mueki, has, um, is really tackling the issue of our outdated dietary guidelines. Mm. So I absolutely love him for that and it makes me very, very hopeful that um, more and more Australians will be able to cotton on to, um, to the healing power of foods and also realise that their metabolic disease, their type 2 diabetes, which is like severe end-stage metabolic disease, is reversible. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. It's been so good talking to you. Thank you so Thank much, you. Mary. Um, I said that we'd try and wrap it up after 45 minutes, but I just couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm well aware that you've got lots on, so thank you so much for having this conversation. Thank uh, um, Where can people find you? Where can mm. people learn about lifestyle medicine and working with you? Thank you, yes. So um, you could check out our website, rlmedicine.com we've got a podcast called real health and weight loss by real life medicine you could check that out too and um yeah absolutely um we would uh sorry um would would love to see any of you guys if you wanted to come and check us out over there awesome is the podcast a new thing i didn't know you had oh yes it's it's brand new ah awesome brand new podcast i think we just launched two weeks ago so Very real cool. health and weight loss with my wonderful colleague, Dr. Lucy Burns. Okay. Um, yeah. Look it up. Do. Thank you. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks, Mary. Have a great rest of the day. Thank you too. Bye. Bye.